Welcome back to the Tennessee Holler Podcast. I'm Holler co-founder Justin Canoe. Today we have a very special episode. I spent a few minutes talking to decorated tennis champ Martina Navratilova, who I've gotten to know a bit through her awesome Twitter presence. And she does a great job of yelling the truth in her own right. We talked about her childhood in communist Czechoslovakia, her coming out as gay in the early 80s, and how she sees what's happening here in America from her unique perspective. I really enjoyed having this conversation, so I hope you enjoy listening to it. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media at the tn holler i'm at canoe on there and as an independent journalism site we survive on your monthly donations so please go to tnholler.com give what you can even a few bucks a month goes a long way tnholler.com thanks for following the holler here's my conversation with tennis great martina never to love really an honor to talk to you. I was a fan of yours before I was a fan of yours on Twitter, but it's been awesome <laughs> to watch how outspoken you've been on there. I was just hoping to talk about your life a little bit and how you became so outspoken. Sure. Everything but the tennis. I mean, the tennis yeah, obviously yeah, that's great. Yeah. Obviously, the tennis speaks for itself. I'm really interested in your childhood. You grew up in mm-hmm. communist Czechoslovakia. Can you tell right. me a little bit about what that was like? You know, you don't realize what it means to be in a communist country until you may be five, six years old maybe seven when you have to start watching what you say your parents say something or tell a joke and then they say oh you better not repeat this in school or to anyone else the news was pretty scarce from the west we didn't really get much western culture bonanza i think was a big hit we didn't have a tv till i was nine years old and we took it home on a wheelbarrow from the electric store and we had one channel six hours a day that was it wow what would happen if you said the joke that you're talking about well, school, like... i wouldn't get in trouble what my parents could get in trouble 95 percent of the people if not more were against the communist party against Russians, against Soviets, against the communist system, but you never knew who would be trying to get a leg up by reporting you to the authorities. So I would not get in trouble as a six-year-old, but my parents certainly could. They could lose their job, not necessarily go to jail, or it wasn't as severe as Soviet Union, where you could be sent off to a political camp or Siberia, God forbid, it was still something where you could lose your job. As a communist, either you're in school or you have to have a job. So you are guaranteed a job by the state. My dad had a good job in an office. He may be having to go to and and work as a janitor, patrol the woods. And does everybody make the same amount of money? Yeah, well, it was really pretty much one class living situation was pretty cheap, but uh, groceries were very expensive. How was the health care, just out of curiosity? Healthcare was pretty great. Uh, I mean, but uh, again, old equipment. I had I had really soft teeth, so I always had cavities. I had my root canal and, and fillings done with no Novocaine, you know, with a slow drill. So it was torture. You know, you didn't want to go to the dentist, but overall care was pretty good. Everybody would get it, but uh, you still wanted to give the doctor a little extra homemade rum or a bottle of wine, some chocolate, make sure you got good care. And so, now it's amazing. I mean, I had surgery on my big toe, bones first, and I was in the hospital overnight, had the surgery, amazing care, $1,500. Here, I broke my bone. I went to the doctor. I was in the emergency room for two hours, and it, the bill was $3,000. There, I actually had surgery. Spend the night, 1500 bucks. Incredible. So how old were you when you started dreaming of coming here? 
wanted to win Wimbledon since I was about eight or nine years old. Well, if you play tennis, then you travel the world, so it was kind of a way to see the world, but there was no money in it then. wanted to uh, come to the States, play the U.S. Open, taking English lesson in high school when I was 14, and there was a picture of the Empire State Building, and I told my schoolmate, I'm like, I'm going here one day. <laughs> so it's like I knew I was going to get there. It's an amazing journey, and then so you were, what, about 18 when you actually defected? Yeah, I was 16 when I came to the States for the first time to play. I traveled for two months, eight tournaments in a row. And then after that, I even traveled just by myself at 17. And then at 18, I defected and asked for political asylum after the U.S. Open. And what was that process? It seemed like it went pretty smoothly for you. Well, yes and no. Coming from a communist country, you automatically get your green card. You granted the protection because, you know, the big bad wolf communist. Then I went to the Immigration Naturalization Service in, in Manhattan with my agent who arranged it. They told him to come after hours so nobody would see us so we could keep it under wraps and don't say anything to anybody. So we did that on a Friday night after I lost to Chris Everett in the semifinals, fill out all this paperwork. I had to convince him that I was not a communist spy. And finally, about 10 o'clock, I left there at 10 o'clock at night. Again, the guy says, don't say anything to anybody. So I went straight to my hotel, went to sleep. And at 8 in the morning, my coach, Vera Sukova, who's Helena Sukova's, my opponent's mother, was the chaperone and coach during the Open, calls me in, in my hotel room at 8 in the morning, wakes me up, says, why did you do it? I'm like, did what? She says, why did you do it? I'm like, oh, my God, how does she know? And I said, well, wh what do you mean? And she says, it's in the Washington Post. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There was a leak. There was a leak. <laughs> and it was not fake news. <laughs> That's right. Everything that happens here in America is now called socialism by Republicans if it helps people. They seem to equate socialism with communism in their heads a lot of the time. What's they it like? Do. Yeah, so what's it like to see this used as a, a boogeyman for things that actually help people when you actually have been in a communist country and you know what it's actually like? Well, there's levels to everything. Just like capitalism is a good thing, but if you take it too far, it's a bad thing, which is what we're having now, which is this widening gap of wealth between the ultra wealthy and extremely poor and the middle class is disappearing and it's shrinking and I saw this coming back in 2000 I was criticizing George W. Bush I said our middle class is going to disappear because every decision that this man has made so far is helping the wealthy and sure enough that's exactly what happened because we were doing pretty well in the 90s so that's capitalism and it goes too far that way socialism in its core is a good idea in that everybody will be taken care of everybody will have a job and housing and will have health care but then it goes too far where, you know, people don't even have to work. They just show up and they still get paid. And then, of course, there is oppression of personal freedom where you have to do everything for the state and you can't speak your mind or you get in trouble and you don't have choices. You get into a school uh, not because of your smarts but because your father's in the Communist Party. And if you're not, then, you know, you get demoted. After I left Czechoslovakia, my sister, who was six years younger, by the time six years later, she wanted to go to... To, uh, an art school, they wouldn't let her. And only because we knew somebody at a medical school, she studied uh, dentistry, and only because this woman helped her, who was also a dentist, she get into school. So they, they can control that you actually cannot go to college. So that's where, you know, the, the socialism that becomes communism, it takes it too far. Anything taken to an extreme is, is a bad thing. It's just like right. eating great food. You can eat great food, but if you eat too much of it, you're going to get sick and you're going to get fat and you're not going to be healthy. You know, I'm all for socialized health care or everybody should have access to it that doesn't bankrupt them. Everybody should be able to have a living wage job that works hard, but then you have to put in the hours. You know, I'm not, I'm not up for charity. If you're capable, 
then you, you got to put in the time. But you have to give people the opportunity. So the communists would give you opportunity as long as you base yourself. But if you didn't, then they took it away. Right. Here, you can, you know, kick ass and work so hard and you still can't get ahead because of where you were born. Well, it's all about a balance, and I think that's what you're describing, yeah, and, and exactly. I think that's absolutely right. And you were ahead of the game. I read a quote that you had from a while back where you basically said decisions in America, especially by Republicans, are based solely on money and not on the questions of, of health, morals, and environment. You right. know, it's greed out of control, and I think that's what we're fighting yeah. against at every turn. And it's not just yeah. Republicans, it's on both sides sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about another big event in your life. You came out pretty early living out as gay in early 80s when not many celebrities were. What was the decision like in that process of coming out? Well, I would have come out earlier, but I, in order to get my citizenship, I needed to stay quiet about my sexuality because that could have been a disqualifier if the inspector, you go for an interview, right, when you finally get the, the paperwork and you go for the interview to see, make sure that you speak English, you know enough about the country, now they have to do a little more complex test. My wife just went through it a couple of weeks ago, actually. So it was a little bit easier back then, but still you had to be proficient in English, be a morally upstanding citizen. If the guy or woman asks you, are you homosexual? You're under oath. So you have to say yes or no. And if that guy or woman decides that's disqualifying, then it's disqualifying and you don't get your citizenship. So I had to keep quiet uh, about my sexuality until I got my citizenship. Then once I got it, I said something to a reporter, asked me right away because he'd been asking me already. I said, I can't talk about it until I become a U.S. citizen. So then he tracked me down and he says, well, can you talk about it now? I'm like, I really can't because then there was a scandal with Billie Jean King where she was sued by her ex-girlfriend. She was still saying, no, I'm straight. I, I had a relationship with her, but I'm, I'm still married to my husband and, and happily heterosexual because she was scared of losing endorsements. And she did, even though she was saying that she was straight. That was a different time back then because of Billie Jean's scandal, the sponsors said to Powers to Be, the Women's Dance Association, said if we have another scandal like that, we may pull out our sponsorship of the tour. So when I got my citizenship, I'm like, uh, the woman said, you really can't come out yet, you know, because it, it, we might lose the sponsorship of the whole tour. I said, okay. So then when the guy called me, I said, I can't talk about it. He asked me a couple other questions, and I said, you're not going to talk about it, are you? He says, well, not if you don't want me to. I'm like, well, I just told you I don't want you. Why I don't want you to? The next day, it's in the paper. Wow. And actually said, Martina doesn't want to come out be as, a, as a bisexual. <laughs> he because, wrote it all. Because they may lose sponsorship. So I was like, holy shit. So that was my introduction to a reporter. He was on the tennis beat, you know? Yeah. So I trusted him not to say anything. If it had been some guy that just asked me out of the blue, I wouldn't have said anything at all. I wouldn't deny it, but I wouldn't talk about it. I said, I'd rather not talk about it. It's private. But this guy, I said, yeah, but I still can't talk about it. And then he prints it. It sounds Anyhow. like none of it was coming from a place of fear with you, though. Absolutely not. Never. I would have come out so much earlier if it wouldn't have affected my citizenship first and then the tour the second. It's funny because, you know, in Czechoslovakia back then, homosexual men were like, sent into the insane asylum for treatment and women were discarded or discounted or not even an issue but like people wouldn't pay attention they would just you know say oh she's a lesbian whatever and I never understood why homosexuality was bad even though I didn't know I was gay until I was my first experience when I was you know 18 years old I didn't know that I had crushes I didn't recognize anything but I never had any prejudice against other ethnicities or colors or 
gays. I just thought, why does it matter? So when I realized I was gay, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Okay. It wasn't anything other than, shit, my life is now going to be more complicated, but that's all the thought I gave it. And now that you've been outspoken and a leader on this issue for so long, does it feel like a lot of progress has been made? Well, of course, a lot of progress has been made. I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, when again, once you realize you're gay, it's like, oh, you don't think you're even going to have children. That's kind of changed over the years, and you could still have a child, although most lesbians, I think, had a child only when they had an affair with a guy and <laughs> got knocked up. It wasn't like planning, family planning. It was very unusual for two women to make the effort to have a, have a child. The only couples that had kids were the ones that were married first, and they divorced, and then they were with a woman. It just wasn't anything that would occur to you. Oh, I can still have kids, and I can, I can get married, because you couldn't get married. You could have the kid, but you couldn't get married, and then you could lose your kid because of who you were. So it was just a big mess. You didn't make plans for that because it just wasn't possible. When the pendulum started swinging, Vermont, I think, was the first state. Gay marriage became legal in that state, and I think Massachusetts was second. I was like, okay, we got a chance here. And then when it became reality of federal law, Julia and I actually got married in New York because it still wasn't legal in Florida because the spam Bondi, this lovely attorney general, kept appealing. Trump's buddy. Trump's bestie, yeah. yeah. So we could, yeah. She believes in heterosexual marriage so much. She's married for the third time, um, <laughs> and I'm not sure she's still actually married. I don't know. Anyway, she was a nightmare. So she kept appealing it. So we ended up getting married in New York. Three weeks later, it became legal in Florida. So then we had a big party here. And you know, the thing that happened when we got that paperwork, Julia has two girls, oh, two stepdaughters, 18 and 14. Now. I raised them, but you still didn't have the protection under the law. You mm-hmm. still felt less than to really have this marriage certificate and have the legal protection that it gives you was very empowering. It surprised me how good it felt. I think straight couples don't think about that, you know, when they get married. Oh, great. That just means we gave ourselves to each other for for the rest of our lives. But for gay couples, it also meant legal protection that we couldn't have otherwise. And that's huge. You're absolutely right that straight people don't think about that. And I'm calling you from a state where it's under attack constantly. Mm -hmm. We have a thing called the slate of hate here in Tennessee which are these six bills that have been getting pushed by the Republican Party, child adoption, and it's just constantly under attack. We have a guy named Joey Hensley here who's been divorced four times now and cheated on his wife with his cousin who he was illegally prescribing drugs to, and he thinks that modern family is a bad influence because there's a gay couple in there. Wow. The hypocrisy is just astounding. And And what I still can't figure out to this day is what's it to you? How does this affect you, whether my partner has a penis or not? Yep. Is only my problem or my issue or my joy, whatever it is to me, it has nothing to do with you. So what's it to you? And by the way, now there's so many homosexual families with kids. And I'm very sure that the numbers for the kids are are better than the numbers for kids from straight families. Because gay couples have to jump through hoops to have kids. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, okay, I guess I'll have a baby. So you have to really plan for it. And you bend over backwards to have that kid well-adjusted. And I'm pretty sure that the numbers are pretty good for kids in gay families compared to straight families. We're fighting gay adoption. Meanwhile, there are kids that don't have homes that are in these adoption agencies. And thousands of them just right here in our state. And they'd rather these kids have no home. Unbelievable. What's it to you is the exact question, the right question that you're asking. And I also think they don't internalize the less than phrase that you brought up. Or they do realize and they don't care that they're making an entire segment of our population feel less than. And if you believe that God created everybody, then God created gay people too. And and they exist. And, you know, you should treat them like they exist. So I'm a big fan of you on Twitter. (laughs) 
and I'm glad you're on there. Just tell me a little bit about your relationship with Twitter. Yeah, that's funny because I wasn't paying much attention to Facebook or Twitter, and then my assistant was, oh, you got to get on Facebook. You, know, you can find everybody. So I did Facebook, and then I kind of connected with some people that I haven't seen in 10 or 20 years. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. But I wasn't that active. I wasn't public. And then I was on Dancing with the Stars, 2013. And they said, oh, you got to do Facebook and open it to public, and you got to be twi on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know anything about Twitter. So I just started posting, you know, my training or whatever. And then I realized, oh, it's a great way to follow people and read the news. And then I started making comments. <laughs> right. on what I read, you know, my two cents worth or maybe two dollars worth, whatever, or absolutely nothing worth. I've realized what a great platform it is where I can say exactly what I think with nobody censoring me because that doesn't happen unless you're on live TV. People censor you. Even if it's an interview on TV, right. they only show maybe two minutes. They cut it. This is uncut, uncensored me. Me to the fans or to whoever wants to read it. I just fell in love with it. And I'm like, shoot, I wish we'd had it 20 years ago. I think I would have had you know, more fans. <laughs> I would have had better rapport with my fans. I think people would have gotten to know me. Sooner, because now the, the players are so much more switched on with the social media as well as after each match they do an interview with the winner on the court. We only did an interview on the court after you won a tournament and then you just gave your winner speech and got the check and there wasn't much of an interaction. And then again, all the interviews they did were censored by the person writing the article. It was through their lens. I stopped reading the interviews that I did because they were so inaccurate and so not what I had in mind or what I meant when I said something. They would just twist it. So I totally fell in love with Twitter for these obvious reasons. Well, you're really good at it. I'm glad you're on there. It's part of the reason why we have the president we have, but I think it's part of the reason why we're going to get rid of him, too. So I hope so, yeah. Onwards I, and upwards. <laughs> uh, onwards and upwards, please. Keep fighting the good fight. We'll do that, Justin. I wouldn't know any other way. Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.